Well, again, good morning, uh, church family. So great to see all of you. And again, welcome uh, to our new gathering. Uh, if this is your first time with us today, uh, you really came on a unique, <laughs> uh, special Sunday. Uh, because today is the beginning of a brand new gathering that's been formed between uh, SIBC and Way Church. Um, again, there's been so much uh, that has gone into making this a reality already. Uh, but I know uh, that this is just a start. And I'm so excited to see uh, what the Lord has in store for all of us. Uh, well, today we're going to wrap up our Habits of Grace sermons. If you haven't been with us throughout the duration of this series, we've been talking about how we can be people who are not just transformed, but also people who live transformed lives. You see, we know that for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, um, we are saved by grace. Uh, we belong to Christ. But at the same time, we also know uh, that for those who are following Jesus, we are, st- we are still in the process of becoming more like Jesus. And that with that, there are actually uh, these means by which God brings about this transforming work in our lives. And so this sermon series has really been all about those means. We're walking through these gospel habits, some spiritual disciplines. We're talking about these means that are rooted in grace and that help us become more like Jesus for God's glory and for our joy. Uh, Well, up to this point, uh, we've talked about being God's word. Uh, We've talked about being people of prayer. Uh, And then last week, we talked about serving one another. Uh, But this week, I thought it was really fitting uh, to wrap up this uh, series together with the topic of fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is is one of those words, one of those uh, Bible words, I guess you'd say, that has sort of been downgraded in our modern Christianity. Uh, Like, even right now, like some of you, you're thinking of several things when it comes, when I said fellowship. Um, but, but when you think of fellowship, we're usually talking or thinking at least about like socializing or, or hanging out, okay? Chilling with your Christian buddies, eating pizza and playing catchphrase, right? I'm, I'm with you, okay? I know. Uh, fellowship has sort of become trivial uh, in a lot of ways. And, and it's really a, a shame, actually, because what we see in in Scripture, is that fellowship is so much bigger than that, uh, so much richer than that, that actually fellowship is an indispensable ingredient to the, the Christian faith. It's one of God's chief means of grace in our lives. And therefore, uh, what we're going to be talking about and seeing today, I hope, is that fellowship is essential. That fellowship is actually core uh, to the Christian life. Well, to take us through this habit of grace, this habit of, of fellowship, I'm going to anchor our time together today in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And what I want to show us uh, is, is what fellowship is, what sits at the core or the foundation of fellowship, and then how can we make fellowship a habit of our lives. Let's begin. Uh, We're going to begin by reading this text. 
uh, starting in verse 19. This is how verse 19 starts. The author of Hebrews says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, and we're going to pause there for quite a while, actually. What the author is ultimately talking about here, let's understand, is being in the presence of God. He's talking about having fellowship with God, entering into the holy place where God dwells. He says, we can have confidence in regards to being in relationship with God, being in fellowship with him. That's what he says. Now, again, I said that we're going to anchor our time together in Hebrews chapter 10. But to really understand fellowship and the significance of this passage here, we really need to go all the way back to the beginning of the scriptures. Uh, But even before that, uh, let me say this first, just so that we're all on the same page. When we talk about fellowship, we have to start with the understanding that fellowship is what God created us to enjoy. Fellowship is something that God created us to enjoy. But not only that, it's what Christ had to die for to redeem and reestablish for us. You could say it this way. I think it's a little bit more simple. We were created for fellowship. We're going to see in the scriptures. We were created for fellowship, but sin wrecked it, and therefore Jesus had to come to restore it. Fellowship, in many ways, is at the heart of the Bible. First and foremost, fellowship with God, but also what we're going to see today, fellowship with one another. We know that in the beginning, God made us. He created us in his image. And he did that certainly for his glory, but also so that we could experience true, deep, and meaningful fellowship with him. What we're talking about here today is the Greek word uh, koinonia. Koinonia in the scriptures, deep word, profound word. Uh, it, It literally means shared life. It means communion, togetherness, or relational unity. And God made us to experience that with him. Think all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. We read there that God made man and woman. He blesses them. He provides an environment for them. And he does that for their flourishing in every single way. He gives them food to eat, beauty, glory to see, He gives them a safe and secure place. But here's what we also see there. That God doesn't just create them, set them in the garden, and then leave them there. Right? He doesn't make them and then stay distant from them, does he? Right? Not at all. That in the beginning, we actually see God speaking with Adam and Eve. And that Adam and Eve are actually talking back to God. We, we see them together, interacting. They know each other. And so humanity, get this, humanity is experiencing oneness, true unity with their creator. It's an amazing, it's a beautiful thing to behold. And what God tells them there in the garden 
while they're experiencing all this amazing fellowship, is that as long as you trust me, all this that you have, all this that you're experiencing in the garden and with me, all of this will continue as long as you trust me. But there is one tree in the garden you cannot eat from. There is one boundary you must keep. And it's all about your trust in me. I'm asking you to have faith that I, your God, have provided everything that you need. And that I have provided everything good for you. And if you disobey, if you eat from that tree, cross that boundary, what does he say? You shall surely die. And what happened? Well, we see that Adam and Eve desire to go beyond the boundary that God set. They want to know what's beyond God's limitation. They, they want to know, I think we can infer this from the text, they want to know what God could be holding back from them. They don't trust what God has provided for them, and so they take the fruit and they eat of it. And it's right at that very moment that this intimate fellowship is damaged. Man is cut off. That as soon as Adam and Eve fail to take God at his word, when they fail to trust him, when they overstep his command, how do they respond? What's their response to God? Well, the scriptures say that they actually hide themselves from God. It literally says in the text that they hide their face from the Lord. Face meaning, literally, it's a symbol of relationship. That they were hiding themselves, but signifying that the relationship with God and man had been broken. There is shame in the garden now. So man is driven out of the garden. And what else do we know? Well, all that pain all that difficulty, all that broken fellowship, unfortunately, it's transferred to each and every one of us here, the world. We're all born with that same inclined heart as Adam and Eve, that bent away from God. We're born sinners, each of us with that same desire to not trust God and to go beyond his limitations. And so... All of us are separated from God. Okay, but listen, listen. Because God is gracious, even when he drove man out of the garden, what was his response? What did he do? Well, we see again that he chooses to cover their nakedness, their shame. He covered them with animal skin. He leaves us, actually, with this implication that something needs to cover man's shame and that, not only that, something needs to die to cover their shame. And so from the beginning, what we see is that the way to restored fellowship is through bloodshed. It's through the death of another. While some time passes, the scriptures continue, and God calls a man named Abram. 
And he is told that the nations are going to be blessed through him. That through Abraham, a nation will be created. And that that nation, from that nation, will come a solution for their broken fellowship. That one day, every tribe, every nation, and every tongue will have a way back to God. But until that day comes, God again in his grace, he says that he will only have fellowship with this nation he's created. He will only dwell with them or continually dwell with them if their sins are atoned for, if their sins are paid for. So yes, you're blessed. Yes, there's going to be a blessed one who comes from your this nation, it's going to be the answer. And until that time comes, there's another way. There's a temporary way. And so God, again, he sets up a temporary system of sacrifice where the people could go to the temple. They could actually go to these flawed priests who needed atonement for their own sins. But God works through this means. He says, For now, I will count your sacrifices as an indication that you are trusting me to cover your sin. And so, through this system, this temporary system, I'll continue to fellowship with you. But all along, all along, through generation after generation, thousands and thousands and thousands of animal sacrifices, all this blood... All of it is saying one thing. This isn't the permanent solution. That something different is going to happen. And something else needs to happen if fellowship is going to be restored permanently and forever. And so, and so, Christ came. Christ came to secure our peace with God. Christ came came to open a way, to make a path to fellowship and to restoration, that where our sin, where our sin shut the door of fellowship with God, Jesus opened that door. And all that, okay, and so much more, is what's in context for our Hebrews passage today, okay? Going back to Hebrews 10 then, that passage, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, again, that's his presence, that's into fellowship with him. How do we get there? By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So the author of Hebrews says, God the Son, the eternal one, 100% divine. He added to himself what he was once not. A human nature. Flesh. And he did so so that he could step into our world and be a sacrifice. A once for all single sacrifice to cover. To pay for our sins. Jesus died innocent in our place. He settled our account as the great priest over the house of God. You see that designation there in verse 21. 
In other words, he was not like all these other priests who needed to offer sacrifice because they themselves were sinners. Jesus needs no sacrifice. He was spotless, blameless. He kept the law perfectly, which means we have a priest that is able then to open a new and living way, who is able to bring us back into the presence of God, into fellowship with God forever. And look how we can enjoy this fellowship that Jesus has reestablished. What do we do with this new and living way and the great priest who leads us in? It's in verse 22, verse 23. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It says there that we are to draw near to him in full assurance of faith and that we are to hold fast the confession of our hope. That's how we enjoy and come into fellowship with God. And it's how we remain in fellowship with God. That we keep drawing near. We hold fast to our faith, to our assurance with hope. So let's think about that as it relates to enjoying fellowship. The author says, don't miss this. He says, we draw near to him that we actually approach his presence, don't again miss this word, with confidence. We approach his presence with confidence, which should be absolutely, it should sound absolutely crazy when you really think about that. Particularly as you understand the narrative of scripture, the depths of your sin and my sin and the holiness of God. Actually, right below this text, Hebrews 10.31, it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But here, the author says, you go to God with confidence. Confidence. That's incredible. So how do we do that? Well, well, certainly it's not because of us. That's for sure. It's 100% because of Jesus Christ. It's all about our confidence, not in ourselves, but in him. That we can approach God with assurance because our hearts have been sprinkled clean. Because we have been covered by the blood of Jesus. That we can and should have full assurance of faith because God has counted Christ's death in our place. When I was a a sophomore in high school, uh, I guess I was about 16 years old, I got my driver's permit. I grew up in New York, got my driver's permit when I was 15. You could do that. Can you imagine? Uh, I don't know. But not smart, and you're about to hear why. Um, I was 16. I had gotten, like, full freedom with my license. I had gone through the period, you know, I've driven safe all the time, never done anything wrong. At least I haven't gotten caught. Um, 
But I recently got my driver's license, and now I, there's no curfew, nothing like that. And so I'm driving with a group of my friends uh, in the car, all guys, okay? Three in the back, one in the passenger seat. Um, and we're driving down the road, and I grew up sort of in a, it's not really the country, but small town, very small town. There's like three stoplights in the whole town, right? So a lot of open road. A couple golf courses. And there was one in particular golf course that we didn't have the best relationship with the owner of the golf course. And so we're driving down the road, and he was just a mean man, okay? Uh, mean man, God rest his soul. He's a mean, he was. But he was, all right? And uh, I really like to play golf, and so anyway. So we're driving down, I'm driving down the road, and one of my friends, he's one of my closest friends still today, uh, he jokingly, because now we're finally like driving, he's like, hey man, like, you know, we're stupid, 16 years old. He's like, hey man, why don't you drive on the golf course? I dare you. And there, it was like, he was just joking. And so that gave me permission. I gunned it and took it off the road and I go down the golf course. So I'm driving down this golf course and driving around and like spinning around. It was bad, okay? Um, some of you are like, we voted this guy in the pastor. And then, <laughs> anyway, you did. It's on you. You can't change it. No, don't change your mind. Um, no, I'm kidding. Okay, I wasn't a follower of Christ back then, all right? So I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But, but there was one hole in particular. It was actually, I mean, I, it was in between number three and number four, if you know golf courses. And to get there from one side to the other, there's this really narrow path. It's wooded. A golf cart can fit there. Maybe a little bit more space. And my friends are like, don't you dare. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so, of course, me, I'm the only one of my friends with a car, whatever. I'm like, I'm going for it. Right? It's dark. It's like 1130 at night. Hit it. I'm going on the path, and all these branches are hitting my car. We're driving. They're like, guys are screaming. Ah! We're going through. I'm like driving through. I'm going way too fast, driving through. And I'll hear you. Bang! And I look on the side, and my right side view mirror was just dangling, hitting the car. You know, we're going through, we got through, and I drove off the course and went, like, are you crazy? You're serious? I can't believe you did that, whatever. We got out of the car, and I'm, like, breathing, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we did that. You know, got out of the car. There was some minor scratches on the car, of course. Black Pontiac Grand Am. First car I had. And, uh, and there's my, my mirror just, like, dangling by a cord. And um, 16, just got the car. I dropped my friends off at home. And what was a really cool, fun idea uh, changed when I pulled into my driveway. Because um, then I got to get out of my car. And then it just hit me right there, like, oh, my goodness. Like, what am I going to say to my parents? Like, what am I going to do? And especially my dad, right? Like, what am I going to say? And so... I was, I just remember, like, I was 16, my dad's a pretty big guy, some of you think I'm big, my dad, I look at my dad like this, okay, he's a big guy, like, he has, like, bare paws for hands, like, I'm serious, his hands go like this on me, it's like, he can, like, just, he can grab my hand like that, it's just, so I'm like, I just think he's gonna crush me, you know, he's gonna, what are you gonna do, and, but I say that to say is that, you know, I was so afraid to go into my house and to tell my dad what I had done. Um, I didn't walk into my house with any confidence whatsoever. It was actually shame. And I tell you, 
I can tell you that, okay? Total shame. Fear, worry. But you see, we don't have to approach God that way. That every single one of us here, let's be very clear, every single one of us here is infinitely more guilty than driving on a golf course and busting off a right side view mirror. But there is nothing that I have done in my life. Some of you need to hear this. Listen. There is nothing that you have done in your life that Jesus' death on the cross is not sufficient to pay for. There's nothing that you have done or have ever done or ever could do that would make you unwelcome into his presence. If you would just draw near, which means if you would just humble yourself, if you would turn from your sin, if you would just acknowledge your absolute dependence on him, if you would just confess Jesus as Lord, we can draw near to him confidently with a clean heart. We can have unity, togetherness with the living God, true and lasting fellowship, not because of us, but because of Jesus Christ, because of the one who is faithful, the author of Hebrews says. Jesus has restored us for fellowship with God. Amen? Fellowship with God is fundamentally, fundamentally what God made us for and what Christ redeemed us for. But then second, what we see is that we are also created for fellowship with one another. And while sin messed that up as well, made a total mess of it, we know that Jesus redeemed that too. Think again with me back to Genesis 1. Again, man was made, Man and woman created in his image. And he calls us to, to multiply, to fill the earth, to steward the earth, to enjoy it. And he says, do that all by yourself, alone, right? No way. Right? He desires us from the very beginning to do that together. That he wants us to experience life together. It's even written when Adam was by himself... It's not good for man to be alone. But again, what happened? Well, they sin. They don't trust God. They take the fruit and eat. We already said they hid themselves from God. But also, let's remember that Adam and Eve also hid themselves from one another. Not just from God, but from one another. They realized their nakedness in front of each other. And they quickly worked to cover themselves because of their shame. And once they leave the garden, things just get worse. There's deep conflict between man. There's bloodshed, violence, deceit, war, all sorts of other self-centeredness. Right? It actually gets so bad that in Genesis chapter 6... The scriptures say that God actually looked down upon man. 
he peered down. He looked down upon man, and what did he see? Only evil continually. That's all he saw. Just evil. It means this, that we made a mess of the fellowship that God had designed. That our self-centered sinfulness broke our togetherness. But again, again, through Christ and his sacrifice, that has also been restored. That for those who draw near to him, we are adopted in Christ. We are forgiven. And the same spirit comes to live inside each and every one of us. And what is the spirit doing as our helper? Well, we're told a number of things. But mainly, he's helping us become more like Jesus. He's leading us on the pathway to Christ. And as the Spirit is helping us to grow more towards God, understand what that's doing. That that is simultaneously then growing us more towards one another. That we're all heading in different directions, but now we're all headed towards Christ, therefore becoming closer, more unified to one another. God, first and foremost, wants fellowship with us. But right behind that, his desire is that we would have fellowship with one another. With one another. We were created for fellowship. And now, through Jesus Christ, we get to enjoy it. Well, verse 24 and 25 gets really practical then. And I think there are a few things in these verses that help us to know how we can pursue and express this habit of fellowship. So let's read this text once more together, and then we're going to talk about a couple things before we close. The text again says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the first thing that I want to show us today, three really quick points. First thing I want to see is that if we want to practice this habit of fellowship, if we want to practice this habit of fellowship, number one, we need to consider one another. We need to consider one another. It's interesting. Um, similar to fellowship, the word fellowship, I think being considerate is a very undervalued word. It's a really undervalued virtue. You know, when you think about being considerate, right, it sounds just kind of like nice and plain, doesn't it? Oh, that, that was so considerate, right? It's, you know, you're just so nice. It's so friendly, right, being considerate. But considerate um, actually, or, or, or more literally, means to be deeply thoughtful, mindful, uh, observant. You could say watchful. And you need to be those things if you're going to truly consider people's needs, if you're truly going to consider their circumstances, if you're going to truly consider their weaknesses. And notice he doesn't just say here, he doesn't jump right into saying, hey, church, let's love and do good deeds. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, let's stir that from others. And even before that, Let's consider how we might stir up one another to love in God, to loving others, and to do good works. 
we have to consider one another, which means we have to know one another. It means that we have to be in proximity, that we have to be close, that we have to know each other relationally. If we're going to consider one another truly, as the Bible is teaching here, we can't do that through Facebook and Instagram. And so what does that look like then to stir one another? Well, I think a big part of that is actually practicing these habits of grace that we've been talking about through this series together. Right? That we don't just get together for, for casual pizza and chit-chat only. Right? That could be a part of fellowship, but we don't just do that only. We actually gather then with a purpose. We gather to know God better through his word. We gather to worship the Lord in spirit and truth together, to pray for one another, to give together, to serve together. We gather to share the gospel together. But to do that, again, we have to consider one another. Second, I hope this is the most obvious thing that I've said today. (laughs) Number two, we must meet together. If we're going to practice the habit of fellowship, We have to meet together. Look at verse 25. Again, it says this. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit. Notice he used that word habit. The habit of some. In other words, what is he saying there? We should be meeting together. He's saying, do not develop the habit of not meeting. Do not develop the habit of not gathering with the saints. Did you know, this is a statistic that drives my profession mad. (laughs) Did you know that the average Christian in the Western context gathers with believers on average two times per month? That's the average follower of Christ. Two times per month. That's not weekdays as well. Two Sundays per month. So two out of the 28 to 31 days. That's the average commitment. The author of Hebrews says, fight that habit. Fight it. Don't drift. He says that earlier. He says that in Hebrews 3, actually. Don't drift away from the gathering. Meet together. And again, I don't think he's talking about loose, casual hangouts, right, that replace the local body. It's much more than that. In Acts chapter 2, right at the beginning of the church, I think we have precedent for this. It's written there, that in the early church, right after right, Peter preaches the sermon, right, the Holy Spirit comes down, Peter preaches the gospel, people come and they ask, what must we do? Repent, be baptized. And then in, starting in verse 42, it explains what they start to do. And it says there that they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and what else? To fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. In other words, they had a deep commitment, yes, to knowing God through his word. But also they had a deep commitment to each other. That they were meeting together regularly, it says. Not just in the temple, but also in their homes. Regularly meeting, praying, worshiping, sharing meals. So you do get the pizza and chit-chat, okay? They're going to each other's homes. 
serving each other, sharing resources with one another. They were devoted to the fellowship because they were on mission together. They were on mission together. They shared the gospel in common. And an understanding, they also shared an understanding that their very existence, that they only existed to glorify God, to look like Jesus, and to help other people do the same. And because of that, they devoted themselves first to God, but then also to each other. So what I'm saying is, we were made for more than just private devotions. You were made for more than just private devotions. Not that those aren't biblical, right? Of course they are. We've talked about them in this whole series, right? right? But we were not created, ultimately, to have a privatized faith, but rather a faith that is shared. We were made to worship Jesus together, together, both now and forever, right? That's why Revelation, what's the vision that John sees at the end? He's talking about the gathered church, right? Look how beautiful this is. Look at this. It says this, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is you and I, the church, worshiping God and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We are together worshiping the Lord forever. That's the vision John has. And so that should be the vision that we have while we're here on the earth. We worship together, together. We were created for fellowship. We were created for fellowship. We were meant to glorify God together. And in the end, we will worship God together. So again, do not neglect the gathering. Do not neglect the fellowship. Don't neglect the local church. Don't forsake Jesus' bride. Love the church. Be devoted to the church. We were created for fellowship with God and with each other. For his glory and for our joy. And then finally, it's like a 30 second point. If we want to practice this habit of grace, number three, we must persevere in it. We must persevere in it. And that goes right along with fighting for it. Don't let it become a habit. The end of verse 25 says, but, it, but encouraging one another. Don't let it become a habit, not gather, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, fellowship is not a a once-in-a-while habit. And as Jesus, his return, as his return draws more near and more near, there will be increasingly uh, be more reason to, to grow weary, to grow tired, 
right? That's actually going to be harder and harder and harder to be devoted to fellowship as the world turns further and further and further away from God. And so we need to encourage one another. We have to encourage one another. We have to remind one another that we need fellowship, that we need to gather together for our good. It's what we were created for and what Jesus saved us for. So as a church, right, as a new church, let's be devoted to fellowship. Let's go all in together for the sake of the gospel. Let's commit to helping one another draw near to God and to encourage one another to hold fast the confession of our faith. We cannot hold fast. We cannot continually draw near on our own. David Mathis, um, in his book, Habits of Grace, which this series is taken from, he calls this devotion to fellowship, he calls it um, godwardness or corporate godwardness. He says there's a sense in which even the author of Hebrews here is saying that don't just hold fast yourself. Right? Don't hold on by yourself. Right? Don't just uh, think that you can, uh, you can draw near alone. Right? No, it's this imagery that we're actually holding hands, linked arms with one another. And as one grows weary, we say, no, come on, let's go. Together, let's draw near. Let's together hold fast. You're struggling? I'll pick you up. Come on, let's go together. It's corporate togetherness, Godwardness together. We have to help each other. We need each other if we're going to grow into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So let's serve one another with our gifts. Right? Let's come together to learn God's word. Let's, let's come together to pray bold prayers. Let's come together to remind each other of the gospel. Let's gather to encourage one another, to, to challenge one another, to care for one another. And ultimately, let's gather to, to join with one another on this mission of making disciples of the nations. Uh, we were created for fellowship. We were created for fellowship. And now through Jesus, by his blood, we get to enjoy it. So let's be a gathering that is devoted to fellowship. Let's pray.